welcome. Uh, if you're just visiting or been a partner here for a long time, uh, my name's Steve Cunningham. If you're joining us online, uh, I get to be the lead pastor here at Wellhouse. Just very thankful for that opportunity to get to serve alongside of so many wonderful, not only partners, uh, but people on our lead team, on our shepherding team, on our staff, our volunteers with the kids, just surrounded by wonderful people. And recently, uh, we we have kind of put out a, a vision of where we're going and, and goals of, of what we feel like God is calling us to do, our, our mission in the world. And uh, what we said is that, that we really truly want to change the spiritual landscape of our community. Um, that, that's important to us. We recognize that 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 as our community grows, as our world changes and involves more and more people don't have a relationship with God. And, uh, and we want to change that. We recognize uh, that, that God has called us to a time as this. And we understand, too, that the, the best place to change the landscape of a community starts with children. And so we want to pour in and invest in the lives of the next generation. And we talked about some ways that we're going to do that here starting soon, but also in the future as well. And one of those ways is through hiring uh, what we call a next-gen pastor. It's somebody who would be looking uh, at, at taking care of and helping us and our ministry to kids ages birth through middle school. And I just want to brief you really quick that we've been, uh, we've had uh, a lot of resumes. It's pretty close to, I think, 20 at this point that have, have come in uh, and we've been interviewing them and kind of weeding through, and we found several great candidates, and uh, we're interviewing a few more of those as well, and uh, we're excited uh, to see who God is bringing on board to help us with that mission. But also, uh, one of the things that's coming up is something called one-to-one. And the idea of this is that you would make, as an adult, you would make a commitment, a one-year commitment to, uh, to a kid. Uh, and, and basically that you would be praying for them, uh, but also there may be times that you could pray with them or encourage them along the way. Maybe that's through sending a card or a letter through the mail or just connecting with them and saying, hey, how is it going? And here's the thing. I think at last I heard we had like 38 uh, kids, uh, and I say kids in, in a broad scale, like you may look at me and say, you're still a kid, you know? Um, my wife might say that to me. You're still a kid uh, at heart. Uh, and so w- what we define that is from birth to 21. So um, so we have 38 of those, which means we need at least 38 people who are that age or older to partner with them. And so we encourage you to be praying about that. Uh, we were originally going to kind of kick it off here at the beginning of, of October. What we want to do is push it off uh, until January 1st and make it a full calendar year. We thought like that might be easier for us in a natural rhythm. So I encourage you to get with Rhonda Fincham or um, uh, Melissa O'Brien and uh, talk to them. But we're super excited about that, to be able to breathe into the next generation and change the spiritual landscape of our community. Uh, Over the last... I think now five weeks together, we have been going through what it means to step out in faith. That faith is more than just what you believe, 
right? James talks about this, that faith without deeds is dead. So there's a lot of things we can believe to be true, but if we don't do anything about them, if we don't put it into action, then James says, man, that, there's, there's nothing there. It's, it's dead. And so we've been kind of looking at the story of Joshua, uh, Old Testament uh, a person of faith, and we've been looking at his life and kind of watching his faith progression. And we started off week one understanding that as, as God calls us to, to, to be uh, deeper and more into uh, our, our, our journey with him, uh, that he prepares us for courageous faith, right? You remember the time where Joshua and Caleb and 10 other spies went into the promised land uh, and, and only Joshua and Caleb were like, yeah, we can take it. You know, everybody's like, no, man, there's giants there. They'll crush us flat. We're not doing that. And uh, you, you look at that and you think, well, man, why did Joshua have such such faith in that. Well, that's because he was prepared uh, through the experiences of God, right? That, that after they crossed over, remember, through the Red Sea, that, that there was an army that was there that was ready to defeat them. And he saw God work in only a way that God can, right? Because they had to raise up uh, Moses' hands, right? And as they were raised, that they were winning the war. And so he saw this, he saw this and he knew, listen, I know it's not about what we can do. I already have seen that in action. I know it's about what God can do through us. And so God prepares us for courageous faith and God calls us to courageous faith. So as they finish their 40 years in the desert and Moses, who's been the leader for a long time for the nation of Israel, he dies and they're getting ready to go into the promised land. And man, this seems like such a, a scary moment, right? That all of a sudden Joshua is called to take a next step of faith, that he's called from being kind of second in command to now you're the leader, now you're the person in charge. So we talked about what does it mean to be called in our life and, and not that a calling makes it all easy. We would love that, right? I mean, it, it wouldn't it be nice if God called you to something and then he just kind of paved the way for everything so that it would be smooth, but that's not what happened. That's certainly not what happened in the life of Joshua nor anybody else who have followed God in the Bible. And so we looked at what it means to truly be called. And then the next week we talked about challenged in a courageous direction. It wasn't enough that God called Joshua to lead his people, but he also challenged him to go in a, in a really difficult direction. Remember, the, the Jordan River was what they had to cross before they went into the promised land. And I don't know if you know this or not, but 40 years wandering the desert does not an army make. But now they have to conquer this promised land. And so... God tells them, hey, listen, take the priest down to the Jordan River. Oh, by the way, it's at flood stage. And once your feet hit the water, if you're not swept away, <laughs> then it'll part for you. And sometimes we have to take a courageous step in a direction that God calls us to, and then God does what only God can do, and it's scary Last week, I so much, and thank you, Lynn, for sharing that, because last week was so beautiful to be able to sit back uh, and hear the stories of our partners. 
and share in, in, uh, parts of their faith that oftentimes we don't like to talk about. But it's true that those hardships oftentimes can deepen our faith. A lot of times our faith grows the most when we go through difficulties and challenges. And so we appreciate those stories being shared Today is maybe, uh, maybe one of the most difficult uh, uh, of this series uh, topics to share. And that is because what I'm going to tell you today is going to challenge you. It's going to ruffle some of your feathers uh, and it's going to feel really old school. Uh, but yeah, there you go. But bring it. Uh, but here's the thing. I think it is truth. And I don't think we have to dismiss truth when culture tells us it's old school. Here's setting the stage for you today. If you have your Bible, you can open up to Joshua 24, verse 14. We're going to read that in a minute, but I want to set the stage for you. Joshua, who was this young leader, Joshua, who was a spy into Canaan, Joshua, who, who watched the, both the Red Sea and the Jordan split apart and walk on dry ground, uh, Joshua, who marched his army into the promised land and conquered those and allotted the spaces, is now 110 years old. Mercy, I hope I'm gone long before then. He's 110 years old, and he's getting ready to die, and he knows it. And here's what I learned through working in about six years of, of hospice is that the words of a dying person are important. See, I, I uh, love to talk about all kinds of things that are important right now. I love to talk about football. I could talk about that all day long. I love to talk about what I'm going to do next year or next month. That seems really important to me. But the words of a dying person are pointed. They know that those things, though good, though entertaining, though, though intriguing at times, those aren't the most valuable things. They cut to the quick. They cut to the things that, that mean the most. And so Joshua, being at the end of his life, gathers everyone around and he calls them together and he begins to tell them, hey, listen, you remember all the things that God has done for you, right? You remember all the way back to Father Abraham and the promises that God made through Abraham, that he would bless all nations through him. And you remember this, right? And you remember how we spent time in Egypt and God was our deliverer when we had no other deliverer. And, and how he walked us through the wilderness and that was difficult, but he was faithful nonetheless. You remember, you remember, right, walking in the Red Sea, there was dry ground for us, but there wasn't for the Egyptian armies. You remember this. And you remember, nation of Israel, you remember walking over the Jordan at flood stage, into a promised land where we were outnumbered and we should not have conquered anything, but the walls of Jericho fell down. Not with sword or might, but by the word of our Lord. And you remember how we conquered every place. And it wasn't through us, it was through a mighty Savior who is our God. 
And so, as he was reminding them of this, here's what he says in Joshua chapter 24. The words of a dying man. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors' worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your ancestors uh, served beyond the Euphrates or the god of the Amorites in whose land you're living, but as for me and my household... We will serve the Lord. Now, some uh, there's a passage there uh, that you probably recognize, Joshua 24, 15. Uh, for whatever reason, that, that becomes the staple in most uh, Christian homes' kitchens. I don't know why. That's like the kitchen phrase. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. But it is. It, it, it's true. You can find it there. Uh, and we've, we've seen it a, a lot of different places. So you're familiar th- with this, but, but put it in context of what's truly happening. And understand the words that Joshua, the dying man, is saying to a group of people who've had a long relationship with God. And who have seen God through thick and thin. Who have seen God through, through victories and defeats. Who've seen God in both freedom and slavery. And he says this. Choose who you will serve. This is interesting because in Hebrew, this word serve uh, actually probably is better translated uh, bondage or even worship, subject to. And here's the thing, for for most of our uh, society and maybe for most of us in this room, the thing that we've had to wrestle with is, is... Do I want to serve God? Do I want to be in bondage to God? Do I want to worship God or not? And I think we have the wrong question. And I think Joshua is right here. See, we believe that we, some of us, believe that we don't want to serve God because that means we have to give up our autonomy. And in fact, the moments of my life where it becomes the hardest to serve God is in the moments where I have to give up my own autonomy. I have to give up what I want the most. And so I think, all right, the option is either serve God or not serve God. And Joshua says, no, 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 no. The option is choose what you're going to serve because you're going to serve something. Choose what you're going to be in bondage to because you're going to be in bondage to something. Choose what you're going to worship because you will worship something. We're created that way. See, it's not a matter of if you're in bondage to something, but who or what you're in bondage to. And so Joshua says, choose it. 
Be intentional. Don't go around blind. Don't go around naive. Don't go around thinking you're autonomous and you don't have to bow or you won't bow or you won't worship or you won't serve something. Make a choice. A lot of times the areas of bondage or worship look like this. It's pleasure. And I'm all right serving God until it comes to something I really want or something that comes easy, something that we find acceptable, the path of least resistance, whatever gives us comfort or enjoyment in that moment. And then I don't want to serve him anymore. And so for that, I ask, would you choose to serve God or serve pleasure? In our society today, another option that we can serve is entertainment. And this isn't just for teens. We are truly obsessed with being entertained. I read something a, a, couple, of, a couple of years ago now, and it said, who took away boredom? And, all, and I don't know if, if you've heard this and you may, you may be more aware of it now that I've mentioned it, but listen to how many times in the week that we talk about being bored, but our lives are crammed full. And it's because we can't get enough because we want to be entertained all the time. If we have a down second, it's, it's looking for entertainment. We're obsessed with it. Anything from Netflix to vacations to podcasts to TikTok See, all those things can be good, but if we're not careful, we'll worship them. Because we are created to worship. We're created to serve. Another area of bondage or worship is people. Maybe somebody you're looking to seek approval of. Could be your spouse, a coworker, a boss even your kids. And those relationships are good and meaningful. But Joshua would say, listen, you have to choose what in this life you are going to serve. You can only have one thing in that place. And here's the thing. If you follow me and you follow me with all your heart, I promise you, you're going to love your spouse well. And if you follow me with all your heart, you are going to be a great mother and a great father. But if you put them first, man, it's just a one degree difference. But over the course of time, it changes your life. It changes theirs and not in a good way. Sometimes the areas of bondage or worship look like work or money. So think about uh, this for those of you who are my age or older Think about the first job you ever had. Remember the first job you ever had? First job I ever had, I made 10 cents a bale of hay. 10 cents a bale of hay. And my job was to get the bale of hay up into the loft of a barn. Bales were like 40 pounds a piece. I was like nine years old. That was my job. I did not make much money. <laughs> And I thought, man, wouldn't it be crazy if I made like a dollar an hour? I'd be rich if I were a dollar an hour. I mean, I had more money than I could ever think of if I made a dollar an hour. And then I made a, do a job where I was making like two sixty-five an hour. 
And I thought, man, wouldn't it be great if I could make like $5 an hour? Then I'd be rich. Then I'd, be, I'd have more money than I ever think of. And I made that. And I made more. And I made more than any of my childhood dreams could ever dream up. You know what I found? It's never enough. See, if we worship money and we worship work, it will never be enough. One of the things of our culture increasingly becoming is a bondage of worship to personal autonomy. Don't tell me how to live my life. I get to decide what is true for me. You get to decide what is true for you. And the thing that matters the most is that I get to decide all for me. And it becomes an area of self-worship. And here's the thing. Joshua doesn't say, all right, all of you have to choose to worship God. He doesn't enforce this uh, or legislate a morality among the people and says, all right, listen, everybody has to do this or you die. He says, no, 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 I just want you to be deliberate. You need to choose what you're going to worship. Whether you're going to worship God or something else, you make the choice. Don't just live your life completely fooling yourself and thinking, well, it seems restrictive of me. Or as Joshua says, it feels evil of me to deny myself and, and, and completely surrender myself to God. So I'll just do whatever I want to do. And Joshua says, it doesn't work that way. You will in your life choose something to worship. So what will you choose? We started off this series, you remember this in Joshua chapter 1, and over and over and over again, actually even before uh, God speaks to Joshua about being a leader, Moses prepares Joshua for being a leader. And oddly enough, Moses and God say the same thing to Jesus, it's the, uh, sorry, Jesus, Joshua. By the way, those two are interchangeable, so I'll give myself grace on that. Um, they say the same phrase, be strong and courageous and do not, say it, be afraid. Be strong and courageous and do not be afraid. Oh, by the way, be strong and courageous and do not be afraid. And let me conclude by saying be strong and courageous and don't be afraid. And then we have here in Joshua chapter 24, Joshua says to them, now fear the Lord. And this seems to contrast what Joshua says. This seems to contrast everything Joshua's been told multiple times. In fact, throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, we're told not to be afraid. And yet we also have fear the Lord. And here's what I found is that we will typically refuse to live in the tension of those two things. And so we'll choose one or the other. We'll say, listen, uh, it says fear the Lord and, it, and, and I understand this strong courage, but I'm just going to live in fear or I'm not going to fear anything. I'm not going to be afraid of anything. Everything's off the table. 
And I think it's important for us to understand what Joshua is talking about between the difference between a healthy and an unhealthy fear. And you might find this true of just about any part of your life, but it's especially true in your relationship to God. That unhealthy fear is when you elevate something or someone to a value and control that it doesn't actually have. When you elevate something, to uh, 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 to something to someone or something uh, to a value or control that it doesn't actually have. How many of you are uh, afraid of heights? Yeah, there you go. Uh, so if you stood by the the Grand Canyon and you were right near uh, the edge of it, right, uh, you might begin to sweat, vomit. I don't know. You know, like you're gonna get panicky. Um, some of you we'd never be able to drag even over there, right? Your, your heels would be locked up, right? But you're not scared of it right now, right? I don't think. If you are, we can talk later. Um, you're not scared of it right now because what? The Grand Canyon isn't right here. You're scared of heights in the moment because you have a healthy fear of falling, when you're close to the edge. But you don't have to be afraid of falling if you're not on the edge. Right? You might have a, a, a fear of, of uh, let's just say, I, I remember working with a guy, he, had a, he, he was kind of panicky of chainsaws. I don't know why. Maybe there was an accident at some point. That explains why his dad only had one arm. I don't know. Um, I'm, it's a joke. It's just a joke. It was a low joke, right? It's a low-hanging fruit. Um, (laughs) Goodness. All right, there we go. Uh, He was panicky about it. But he wasn't panicky about the chainsaw in your garage. He was panicky when the fear was real. See, Sometimes we put an unhealthy fear on things that don't actually have that value or that control at that moment. This is huge. A healthy fear is when you acknowledge and revere something or someone to the value and control that it does have. This is different. This is recognizing that there is something that has a deep value, a deep level of control, and that you need to, and this is important, revere it. This word revere uh, in in Hebrew uh, really looks to a regard um, with respect, and I love this, tinged with awe. A couple weeks ago, I flew out to Colorado. We were driving through the mountains. Those of you who have been there before, we're driving through the mountains, and we're up kind of on top of one. We're up like above the clouds. It was crazy. And we stopped for a second. We parked the car. We stopped for a minute. We kind of looked out, and it was like, Wow. Have you ever been somewhere where you're like, man, I feel so small. 
You're out in the middle of the ocean or you're, you're, you're looking out over the vastness of something and you just recognize, wow, man, there is something here. And see, here's the thing. I think the only thing in life that we can attribute that to is God. Sure, there are things that impress us, and sure, there are things that are magnificent and wonderful, but when we look at healthy and unhealthy fear, God says, I don't want you to walk around scared of me. That's not what I'm looking for. I want you to walk around and and respect who I am and come to me with a sense of awe, a sense of wonder, that you would come to me and say, you are the holy one of the world. You were here before all things existed and you will forever be. You are the same God who spoke and the world was created. And you are the same God who split the Red Sea. And you're the same God who knew me before I was even born. And you're the same God who saved me over and over and over again. And who calls me out even when I fail to listen to you over and over again. You're the same God. See, there's nothing in your life that's going to equal that. And so today, I really want to ask two questions. I almost feel like this setting with Joshua was at the end of his life. And have you ever, ever done a contract with somebody where it's like, you know, you go through all the things and they're that moment where they're getting ready to slide the paper to you. And it becomes real. And it's no longer talking in theory. It's no longer these good ideas. It's like, okay, now now pen meets paper. Now rubber meets road. Now is when my beliefs become actions. And so for those of you who have already committed to Jesus, you're already in And whether that's been 10 days ago or 10 years ago or feels like a lifetime ago, the question for you is this. Have you replaced a healthy fear of God with an unhealthy fear of the world? Where the world speaks louder and you're more afraid of it you are afraid to bucket. You're more afraid of of the outlash that you get than you are to serve the one true God. And if that's true of you today, then today we want to pray for you. That you'll recommit to living a life that's stepping out in faith and choosing this day who you truly will serve. And those of you who have not yet committed to Jesus, you're not sure about the whole God thing, the whole church thing, you have way more questions than answers, and it doesn't seem like it's all adding up yet, and you're just not sure, then I want to ask you this question. It's the same one Joshua asked. Who or what in this life will you serve? Because you're going to serve something. You will, in this life, serve something. So choose it. Be intentional. 
Don't check your brain at the door. Don't think that you can live in a completely autonomous life where you get to do whatever you want because you will find yourself enslaved to something. And it may not happen today or tomorrow, but eventually one day you'll wake up and you'll find yourself in shackles over serving and worshiping something. So today, I'll ask you the same question that Joshua asked. Who or what will you serve? And let me tell you about our Jesus. See, he doesn't want you to fear him because he wants you to live in fear. He wants you to fear him because he loves you. And he's worthy of it. And he's full of awe and wonder. And his whole life was given for you so that you could have life in him. So you don't have to worry about giving your life over to a dictator. You get to give your life over to the one who loves you the most. So today, make a choice. Would you stand with me? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and give you peace. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious throne without fault and with tremendous joy. May you be swept away in God's love for you. transformed through the Holy Spirit's power within you. Thanks be to the only God, our Savior, who is unparalleled and unchanging, who is matchless and merciful, who is supreme and sufficient, who is before all things and through all things and in all things, both now and forever. Amen. Worship.